What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. I'm recording this on Monday, November 13th. We are about 10 games into the season. Some teams have only played as few as 8 games, and a few others have played up to 11 games. So the sample size is still small, but it's getting big enough to potentially jump to some conclusions. And on the topic of sample size, um, that's kind of what we're going to discuss today. I'm going to play a little bit. Um, of a game that I'm calling sample size roulette. So basically deciding whether the sample size is big enough to jump to certain conclusions or not. And I'm just going to go through some of the major headlines, maybe some of the surprises we've seen, things that have stood out to me early in this season. Um, But with that, let's get right into it. So basically how this is going to work is I will say, is the sample size big enough to say? And then I'll pose a statement or a question. Um, And then I will answer that question and say whether, yes, the sample size is big enough to jump to that conclusion already. I'll say no, the sample size is still too small and that we need to see much more before we could ever jump to that conclusion. Or for some of them, it might be like a maybe (laughs) where like it might be a little early, but I do think that is where we're trending basically. Um, So the first one I'm going to start off with here is... Is the sample size big enough to say that trading James Harden was an addition by subtraction and the 76ers are better than they would have been with him? And this is a little bit of a nuanced answer because it could be one of those situations where correlation does not necessarily mean causation. So there's a lot of differences between this team last year versus this year. So I'm inclined to say no, that we don't know that because I talked a little bit about this on one of my previous podcasts with Nick Nurse and kind of how he's changed the landscape there in Philadelphia. Um, And we've seen this in the past. So like, for example, when Toronto traded for Kawhi Leonard in 2019, that was also um, a year after they had fired Dwayne Casey. He actually won coach of the year and they won nearly 60 games, but they fired him and then they end up hiring ironically enough (laughs) Nick Nurse so same coach same scenario sort of Um, and then they make a big move to get Kawhi Leonard so obviously Toronto wasn't going to win the finals without Kawhi Leonard however there's a lot of it, it doesn't mean that Dwayne Casey couldn't have won the finals is the point like Nick Nurse is credited and all credit to him I'm a I'm a big Nick Nurse guy I think he deserves I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. He deserves a lot of credit for that finals run they did have in Toronto in 2019. But the point is, we don't know if maybe they make the Kawhi trade and they still keep Dwayne Casey. Maybe they still win the title. And then suddenly we look at Dwayne Casey way differently. And Nick Nurse, who knows if he is even a head coach at this point. Um, So it's hard to say, like, firing firing Dwayne Casey led Toronto to make the finals. So it's a little bit similar here. Maybe hiring Nick Nurse has has helped them look better. They have a totally new system in place right now. They're playing much less isolation, much less pick and roll. They're doing a lot more dribble handoffs, a lot more cutting, a lot more off-ball movement. This has led to Embiid uh, posting a career high in assists to this point in the season at almost six a game. Um, He's never even been above five before this year. Uh, And aside from the system, 
I mean, Tyrese Maxey is just a completely different player from what he was last year. He was a really good player last year. He was uh, right around 20 points per game, but he's averaging <laughs> nearly 29 points a game right now on shooting above 50% from the field, 43% from three, which is right on par where he's been shooting over the past few seasons, and then 93% from the line. He dropped 50 points last night uh, in their win over Indiana. And, I mean, he's averaging almost 30 on 50, 40, 90 shooting. He's got a career high in seven assists, and seven assists, five rebounds a game, a block of steal. I mean, he is not only putting himself – I mean, right now he's a clear-cut all-star, but he's putting himself in the all-NBA discussion. He's got to be the clear front-runner for most improved player right now, taking that leap from really nice complimentary piece, mostly just a scorer, to a true star. I mean, he's only 23 years old right now, too, which is pretty crazy. So, I say all that to say, if Maxley played like this, plus they still had Nick Nurse, and Nick Nurse's system has been empowering Tobias Harris to have a revitalized season. He's been below 15 points per game in the past few seasons. He's up close to 20 right now and shooting a ridiculous 57% from the field. So, he's capable of a lot more than what... Um, this team was kind of marginalizing his role too over the past few seasons with Doc Rivers. Um, and then they've, they've got a lot of good bench pieces even before this trade. I mean, DeAnthony Melton has played really well for them over the past few years. Kelly Oubre, um, I know that he's going to be out a little bit with the car accident um, incident that he just got into. Um, but he's played really well for them so far. Um, Patrick Beverly's been a good pickup. Uh, Paul Reed is a really good backup. So, look, there's a lot to to say for why they might be playing so well. I mean, they're currently 8-1. and one. They have the best record in the NBA at this moment. And so is that because Harden's not there? Or is it because Maxie's having a career year and Nick Nurse is a better coach to um, bring out the best in guys like Tobias Harris and get Embiid more involved as a passer and playmaker? Um, or is it because Harden's not there? I don't know. The point is... I don't think it's uh, we've seen enough to say for sure that that's what makes the difference because for all we know Harden could be playing with this team and they could still be eight and one you know so and, and then this wouldn't even be a conversation and just to put in perspective I mean they won fifty four games last year and lost in the second round so are they going to win fifty four games this year they might but are they going to win sixty like I don't see that personally um, I think their ceiling in the regular season is pro probably close to that fifty four win. Um, mark so if they end up winning around the same amount of games maybe even slightly less and then last year they lost in the second round in seven games are they going to make it to the conference finals this year I certainly don't see them beating Boston I know Milwaukee's had their a little bit of their early struggles but they did lose that is their one loss is to Milwaukee and I think that Milwaukee will figure it out enough to beat Philadelphia in the postseason when that time comes so if I don't see them beating either of those two teams they're going to have to beat one of them if they want to make the conference finals so I see their ceiling as, once again, kind of like a hard-fought second-round uh, loss. So if their ceiling is basically the same amount of wins in the regular season and the same result in the postseason, then I just don't think we can sit here and say, yes, they're better clearly, and it was addition by subtraction. So I like the Sixers. I think it's a testament to <laughs> – it's still a knock on Harden to me to say that they're as good without him, which it looks like they are right now. So – um, this isn't some big pro James Harden take here. I'm just saying that I think they probably could be equally as good with him 
um, and apparently equally as good without him. But regardless, I don't think the Sixers are necessarily true contenders as they're currently constructed unless they um, end up packaging some of those picks and expiring um, contracts for another piece, um, which is certainly possible. But for right now, I'm going to go ahead and say that, no, the sample size is not big enough for us to say that they are definitely better without James Harden. However, pending some move later on, uh, there is a chance that that could be true at that point. So is the sample size big enough to say that the Jeremy Sohan point guard experiment is a failure and it is hurting Wembenyama's development. And I'm going to say yes for this one. <laughs> it just hasn't worked. I mean, Sohan is a nice player. He's a good defender. He's got uh he scored the ball a lot better down the stretch the second half last season. Um and I'm not a huge Sohan guy, but I I he's fine. I think he'll be a good role player. But he just doesn't have the skill set to play point guard. He's not a significantly above average ball handler for his size or position. He's not a significantly above average playmaker or passer for his position. And him playing point guard, if you watch the games, is essentially him just dribbling the ball up and then passing to the first wing on the side and then letting them kind of ISO or start the offense. Like, he's doing very, very little of actually running the offense. He's not running pick and rolls very often. He's not kind of getting them into their sets. He's not um, just – there hasn't been any sort of rhythm with him at the point guard position. Um, the Spurs have been not one of the better teams in ter terms of taking over the ball – or taking care of the ball, sorry. And then, I mean, th these stats are, are drastic. So – if you look at two-man combinations on the court, so Trey Jones is their backup point guard. Him and Sohan have played some together, but um, mostly they're getting subbed in and out for each other because those are the two point guards they've been rolling with. So when Wembenyama and Jeremy Sohan share the court together, um, they have a minus 21.5 net rating. So they're being outscored by over 20 points per game per 100 possessions, which among the top 10 teammates Wembenyama has played minutes with, that is the worst two-man combo of anybody that he's played with. Um, the best two-man combo of anyone he's played with is Trey Jones, which, and they have a plus 22 net rating. So, <laughs> I mean, I say all that to say that when Trey Jones is out there and Wemby has an actual point guard on the court with him, they're blowing teams out, basically. And when Sohan is out there, and they don't have, or if he's the one playing point guard, then they're getting just destroyed. And some of the numbers which uh, Trey Jones on off are honestly just kind of staggering. I mean, <laughs> if you look at just how the Spurs have performed when he's on the court versus off the court, when he's on the court, they have an offensive rating of 122, which would be w among the league leaders and one of the best of all time. And then when you look at when he's off the court, the offense drops to 99, which not that would be last in the league by a mile and one of the worst we've seen in, like, decades, honestly. So that's a 23-point <laughs> swing in, on the offensive end when he's in versus when he's not in. And if you look defensively as well, it strangely enough, I mean, it's – I know someone's a good defender, but they've been worse defensively too. When Tr Trey Jones is on the court – 
their um, defensive rating is 117, which is not great. Don't get me wrong. That would be uh, on the bottom half of the league, but not like worse than the league or anything like that. Versus when he's off the court, it's 124.5, which not only would be last dead last in the league, but the worst defensive rating in the history of the league. So they are completely awful on defense when Trey Jones is not on the court. They are completely awful on offense when he's not on the court. And when he's on the court, they're a good offensive team and at least a okay defensive team. And so I just, I mean, the numbers don't lie. They're better when he's out there. I really, really think they benefit from getting another point guard or just stop playing Sohan in that capacity. Because, like, to me, I just, this is the exact kind of thing that you don't want when you've got a guy like Wemby. Wemby is not a guy that's going to be out there initiating offense, and you really have to get the ball to him in his spots. And Sohan has done basically anything but that, and it's led to some real struggles. I mean, Wembenyama has, since that 30-point outburst against the Suns on November 2nd, He's shooting only 40% from the field overall. He's shooting 28% from three. And he has only 17 assists compared to 17 turnovers in those five games. So he's been really not good at all um, offensively since that game. And it's because he, if you watch, like, he goes through these stretches where he doesn't, like, really know what to do. Like, he looks awkward out there. And a lot of that is because he's just being tossed the ball and told to go do something. Like, for when you've got guys like this, it's really, really key to have someone who can help set them up. So I really would have liked to see them go after a point guard in the offseason. If they could have gotten Fred Van Vliet or even, like, someone like Chris Paul would have been just phenomenal for them. But I'm not worried about Wembenyama long term. I think he's going to be really good. But I also do think that a lot of the hype has been a little overblown and unrealistic at this point. He's not been – I mean – He's not been a phenomenal uh, offensive player. In fact, he's been kind of a bad offensive player to this point. His offensive rating's below 100. He's averaging almost four turnovers a game, more turnovers than assists. He's shooting below 30% from three, um, and he's just been inconsistent. But it's totally fair. I mean, he's he's super young. He's literally only uh, 19 years old, and he's going to continue to get better. So I had no expectations for the Spurs coming into the year. Um, I still don't. They're just not very good overall. But I just really don't understand the Sohana point guard thing. I think that it's bad for Wembenyama. I think it's bad for the Spurs because he's not going to be your long-term point guard. I know you might want to de- develop some of those skills for him, but it's just not something that he's going to be doing long-term. So I don't really get it. So next, is the sample size big enough to say that the Bucks should regret trading for Damian Lillard? And... There's multiple things that go into this, but to me, this is a resounding no that the sample size is not nearly big enough for a few reasons. First off, regardless of this team this year versus last year, this trade was something that was necessary in order to secure Giannis long-term. He signed that extension. There's no way he signs that extension if they don't make this trade. He definitely waits till next year, and... Maybe he never even signs it. Who knows? He might leave Milwaukee if if they don't make this trade. So that's very important context to add when you think about whether this was the right move or not. But looking just to the team this year, look, I know it has not been 
pretty so far. They're five and four. Um, they are only twenty first in the league in net rating with a minus three point six. So they have not looked good and specifically on the defensive end, they've looked very, very bad. So they're twenty fifth in defensive rating after being fourth last season. They're twenty sixth in half court defensive rating after being third last season. They're twenty sixth in transition defense after being fourth last season. And they're dead last in transition frequency off of rebounds. So that's when the other team gets a defensive rebound, how often is it leading to transition? And they're allowing a transition basket 41% of the time. So that's two out of five times the team gets a rebound and ends up being a fast break of some sorts, which is way high for a non-turnover. Uh, they were only at 33% last year, which was also among the worst in the league. But they are way, way, way um, worse than most other teams in the league. Um, they're 24th in effective field goal percentage against after being first last season. They're 22nd in three-point percentage against after being eighth last year. Um, one thing they have still done well is just not allowing a ton of shots at the rim. They're still only fourth in the percentage of shots that are taken at the rim. Um, which they were in the top five last year too. But the difference is last year they were seventh in field goal percentage against at the rim. This year they're 22nd. So they're not uh, stopping those shots nearly at the rate they were. Um, and a lot of this has to do with the system that Adrian Griffin has put in place. I know the personnel is different. I know that Dame is a big drop-off from Drew Holiday in terms of defense. And that is not something that I am taking lightly. However... These are drastic. I mean, you don't go from a top three team in the league on defense to a bottom five team in the league because you swap one player. Um, they still have Giannis, who's won a Defensive Player of the Year award. They still have Brooke Lopez, who was a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year last year. Um, so there's just no reason that they should be this bad on defense. And to me, this has everything to do with the system. This is, uh, They've been playing historically a drop coverage type defense under um, Mike Budenholzer during the Giannis era, and it worked pretty well for them. But they had the personnel to play the defense that they're playing now, which is much more aggressive. Um, they're not dropping. They're doing much more switching and rotations, um, and they're uh, attacking the ball a lot uh, higher up in the half court. Look, and when you've got Drew Holiday, that can work. <laughs> When you've got Dame Lillard, who's one of the worst defensive guards in the entire NBA, it's just they're not he's not making a good decision in matching personnel with um, system. And it's like he came in with a system because he knew he had Drew Holiday. And then when they made the trade, he said, well, I guess we're still doing it this way. And so, like, the, the only way this has helped them is they're slightly better at forcing turnovers. They were dead last in the NBA last season at turnover percentage. They're 19th this year, so a little better, but still in almost in the bottom third of the league. Um, this has also had them allow a ton more offensive rebounds. They were second in the NBA last season um, with, with the uh, second lowest offensive rebound percentage for opponents. They're 16th this year, so middle of the pack. They're also fouling um, more often. They were second in the league last year in terms of not fouling. They're 11th this year. So... To me, this is a huge system thing, and Adrian Griffin just has looked a little in over his head. I think that this is their issues are a lot more about coaching than they are about acquiring Damian Lillard, and I just 
think about how the season started for them. They had Terry Stotts as an assistant, who is a really successful coach for uh, Portland alongside Dame. I mean, he took them to the Western Conference Finals. He's really coached the the best Portland teams we've seen this century. And he was an offensive guy, so he was going to be responsible for putting the offense in place. And then they had during training camp, he had a whole blow up with Adrian Griffin, and he just stepped away and said, you know what? I'm not I'm not going to be a part of this anymore. So who knows what happened? I don't know if it was like a power struggle thing. I don't know if Griffin felt threatened by the fact that they brought in a tenured head coach as an assistant. I don't know if maybe they just didn't get along. Whatever it is, it wasn't a good start. And that was supposed to be the guy who comes in and designs the offense for this team. And without him, they've look, they haven't they've been fine offensively. They've been like middle of the pack in most most categories. Pretty similar to what they were last year. It's not like it's been an issue, but Dame has really struggled. He's sh- shooting 40% from the field this year. He's shooting 29% from three. I mean, this is one of the best volume three-point shooters we have in the NBA over the last decade. His assists are way down. He's below five. Um, Brooke Lopez also has shot the ball a lot worse. He's below 40% for a seven-footer. That is not good. <laughs> Um, a lot of the role guys haven't played particularly well either. I mean, Bobby Portis, only 20% from three. Um, Pat Connaughton, 40% from the field, 27% from three. Um, Middleton has certainly been rusty. I know he's on his minutes restriction. Um, he shot the ball fine from the field, 48%, um, but he's playing only 19 minutes a game, so that's also part of why they've been struggling. But I say all this to say that I am not worried about the Bucks a ton outside of their coaching. I am not sure Adrian Griffin, this is the risk when you're a contending team and you bring in an unproven coach. That's why most of these teams that when they make big moves, they want to bring in a proven guy. It's like when the Suns were considering their assistant, they said no last minute and decided to go with Frank Vogel. And that's why we've seen Doc Rivers get hired a million times because at least you know what you're getting with him when you've got a team that's looking to contend. Um, And so yeah, I mean, I, I saw something that he was he'd been up for interviews 14 other times for head coach. I mean, s- certainly there's guys that don't get jobs that end up being good coaches, but 14 times is a lot of times. <laughs> there must have been something that prevented him from going 0 for 14. Um, and I know people said that Giannis liked him, and maybe it's just early he's working out the kinks, but this feels like a team that's not very well coached. It feels like a team that has a system that doesn't match their personnel. And it seems like a team that's not maximizing the skill sets of the personnel they do have. So I'm mostly concerned for their coaching rather than the personnel. I think they have a very good roster. I think they've got still maybe the best duo in the NBA. They've got a third star Middleton that when he is back getting back up to 25, 30 minutes a game, is as good of a third fiddle as we have in the NBA. They've got some good bench pieces, um, but I don't, yeah, I'm not a Griffin guy, and he is officially scaring me. But as I said, they absolutely still should make this trade 10 out of 10 times. I just think that they haven't, um, the coaching staff hasn't put the team in a good spot to maximize the skill set of the guys. Up next, is the sample size big enough to say that the Lakers should be concerned and that their offseason was overrated in terms of how they adjusted their roster. And to me, this is a yes. I Look, I'm not saying the Lakers are 
a disaster. They're going to miss the playoffs or anything like that. But I was not on as high on them as most people were. A lot of people had them as a top three seed in the West. People had them as a legit contender to make the finals. Some people even had them winning the finals. I had them as the five seed. I said that they. I wouldn't be surprised if they fell to six, seven seed. Um, and I didn't have them as a, a, a true contender. I thought that they were a um, soft West contender. Like, they could make the conference finals again. But I would have been surprised if they made a, a run to the finals. And I still feel that way. So, I'm not lower on them necessarily than I was. I just think that people are catching up to how low I was on them. Because <laughs> people were really high on them. Just because of the recency bias of seeing them go to the conference finals. But they did get swept. Um, they didn't win a single game there. And they were the seventh seed last year. And so to me, I felt like this team is really no different from last year. And last year they were in the uh, play-in race pretty much all year long. And then they caught some breaks in the playoffs. Were playing the Grizzlies who were very undermanned. Um, they had a, The Warriors were a good matchup. And it was a weird Warriors team. And then they found themselves in the conference finals. So... I feel the same about them this year. I think that they could be, though I think they'll make the playoffs. I think they could avoid the plan, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were in the plan. And I think it's going to be the same thing in the playoffs. If they catch some breaks, then I think they could make a run, but I wouldn't be surprised if they lost on the earlier side. And the biggest reason why is that they've just been abysmal when LeBron isn't on the court. Um, so far this year, I mean, offensively uh their offensive rating when he's on the court is 116 and when he's off the court it's a 100 100 is would be dead last in the league and one of the worst offensive ratings we've seen in decades <laughs> and 116 is above average above league average um defensively even they're much worse they have a 112 defensive rating when he's on the court which is above league average and then 121 when he's off the court which would put them among the league's worst defenses so they have fallen apart when he's not on the court. Um, I know they're five and five, but they're only twenty third in net rating at minus four point eight. So the numbers say that they just have not been very good. Uh, Anthony Davis already missed a game. LeBron just missed the most recent game. LeBron turns thirty nine this year, um, and I, I said that I wrote about this preseason. Like these guys just are gonna miss time. If your argument against this to me is, well, if they stay healthy, then, well, guess what? They're they're probably not going to stay healthy. One of them is going to get hurt at some point. And if it's LeBron, I just don't – I think it's going to be really not good because they've been so reliant on him. And I know everyone wants to live in this fantasy land where Anthony Davis takes uh, his hand to the torch and it becomes the number one option. Well, I guess what? He's not doing that. I'm so tired of this, like – Davis is going to become the number one. LeBron's the number two. If if that if LeBron declines and Anthony Davis becomes the number one, that's not a good thing. That means that LeBron just got worse. Anthony Davis is not getting any better, and we haven't seen him be able to be a number one option. So I don't know why anyone thinks that he could be a number one option. He's just not consistent enough. Um, he's not the guy that was averaging high 20s in New Orleans. Even when LeBron doesn't play, he doesn't average that. Um and they certainly don't have the same offensive impact when he's not playing. And then their supporting cast has been just disappointing. Reeves was one of the most hyped players in the <laughs> whole league coming into this season. And he's just been kind of disappointing. I mean, his shooting is way down. He's 44% from the field, 32% from three, 
way down from what they were last year. They started bringing him off the bench in the past few games. He's averaging 14-4-4, which is pretty much right on par where he was last year. I'm not worried about him. I still think he's a solid player. I still think that he'll start to shoot the ball a little bit better, but I I felt this way before, and I still feel that I think people need to pump the brakes. This guy's not going to be an all-star player. He just That's not what he is. Um, he's already going to be 25 this season, so it's not like he's super, super young. Um, and I think what he is is a really solid player, but just um, that's all he is, and that's okay. He's an he's a okay third option if you've got two all-stars next to him. But he's not this guy that's going to suddenly come out and average 20 a game. And then a lot of their additions, I was never high on. I mean, Gabe Vincent's already hurt, but he's been terrible. He's shot under 10% from three on the season. Um, <laughs> he's going to be out for a while. To me, he was – I've said this before. I think he's arguably a downgrade from Dennis Schroeder, who's having a great season in Toronto. Um, they signed Tareen Prince, who has been inconsistent. But after that big opening night game, he's now shooting only 31% from three on the season. Again, he's not a great defender. Don't really – like, he's fine as an eighth, ninth man, but if he's your fourth, fifth guy, I don't love it. Um, Christian Wood has actually played pretty well offensively, but we know that come playoff time, he's not going to be a viable option. He just isn't. Everywhere he's gone, he hasn't been, so I don't know why that would change at 28 years old. Hachimura has played pretty well, but I'm still skeptical of him just overall as, like, a high-impact, consistent guy. Um, and then – I mean, they're out here giving Cam Reddish big-time minutes, which I just can't comprehend. Uh, he's shooting below 30% from three on the season. He's 41% from the field. And before that Phoenix game where he hit five threes, he was two for 16 from three on the season, and that's really all he's out there to do. And it's he's got the skill set to be a good defender, but he's certainly not some lockdown guy because he just doesn't have the same sort of IQ you, you need to be a, a – high-level defender in this league. And then lastly, don't even get me started on D'Angelo Russell. I mean, he's been he's been his normal self this year, so 17 points, 7 assists, 45% from the field. He's not shot well from threes at 29%, but they you just can't run an offense through him. And I, I said this on my last pod, like I just don't think that they can be a true contender if he is playing big minutes on a team. I think that they're, they'll be best served to flip him plus some picks for an upgrade. And if they do that, then maybe all this is – I'll take all this back and that maybe they are shouldn't be worried and they've got a, a reliable guy outside of LeBron and AD. But for right now, I have just not loved what I've seen. When LeBron's not out there, they look like a genuinely bad team. And – him or Davis are probably going to miss time at some point. And even with them playing, they haven't been very good. So um, we'll see. Still think they could make a run in the West, but don't see them as a finals contender. Um, and I, I feel pretty good about my original assessment of this team. Next. Is the sample size big enough to say that the Minnesota Timberwolves are taking the leap and are legitimate contenders in the Western Conference? So to me, I'm not quite there yet. Um, I think the sample is a little too small to, to jump to that. And look, can they be a top three seed? Absolutely. But I'm talking about being a full contender in the West with a chance to actually win the West. And I'm not sure how I feel about that yet. They have been phenomenal so far this year, though. I mean, they are first in the league in defensive rating by a pretty good margin 
first in effective field goal percentage against. They're first in three-point percentage against. They are top five in field goal percentage at the rim. They're top five in <laughs> field goal percentage in the mid-range. So, uh, look, scoring on these guys has been really, really tough, and we've seen a big revival from Rudy Gobert this season. He's probably the front runner for Defensive Player of the Year at this point. Um, he's leading the NBA in defensive win shares. He's got a defensive rating below 100, which is crazy impressive for um, a 2023-2024 team. Um, there's just not a lot of players that have defensive ratings that low. Um, and everyone's defending at a high level on this team. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns has even been pretty good on that end. Anthony Edwards has been phenomenal. Jaden McDaniels is just a, turning into a two-way star. I don't mean like star player, but just like a star in that role. Um, Nas Reed is having a phenomenal season, especially offensively. I mean, he's shooting 43% from three now, averaging 13 a game, even with Cat and Gobert playing. Um, and then Edwards is appears to be taking at least a pretty decent leap here. I mean, he's averaging 28 a game, five or six, six rebounds. He's up to 49% from the field, which is by far his career best. Um, 36% from three. Um, even his advanced stats are starting to uh, be positive for the first time. He's been one of those players that's had really good stats, but the advanced stats didn't love him. But he is, that is no longer the case. He's got an elite, elite above league average through shooting. He's got a, a plus nine net rating, which is really impressive, especially when you <laughs> with his 103 defensive rating. So, I mean, he looks like the second coming of Dwayne Wade, but with a modern version with a little better jump shot. And if if he, if this is who he is now, then this team is certainly scary. I think probably my biggest miss so far in terms of my predictions has been the Wolves. I had them not even in the playoffs just because I was worried about the Gobert and Towns fit. But look, even that has been much improved. Last year, the, the two of them on the court together were good defensively because Gobert is always good defensively. But offensively, they were a mess. I mean, they had a 106 offensive rating, which would have been dead last in the league. This year, when those two are on the court together, they have 119 offensive rating, which is not only like much improved, obviously, but that's really good. I mean, that, that number is would be among the league leaders across a whole season. So... That has not been an issue at all. I know Towns has kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start on the offensive end, um, but he's picked it up over the last few games, and he's still averaging 19-9. and nine. Um, He hasn't shot the ball particularly well from outside especially, but I'm sure that will pick up. And there's a lot to like. I mean, this team's got – they're deep. they got really good role players. They have an elite defensive anchor. A full season of Mike Conley has been super beneficial. He's like the anti-D'Angelo Russell just in terms of what he brings. Doesn't need shots. Is efficient from outside. Good playmaker and ball handler. Gets other guys involved. Willing to sacrifice his own shots for the betterment of the team. He competes defensively. He's obviously on the older side now um, at 36. But he's still no slouch on that end of the court by any means. So, um. It's really hard not to like what you've seen out of them. I mean, they beat Denver. They beat Boston. They just won in Golden State last night. So their resume is as impressive as anyone's. Um, the only reason I'm hesitant is just because regular season versus playoffs is really different. And I think this – I do believe that the sample size is big enough to say that this team's going to be a very good regular season team. But I just have my concerns in the postseason because – 
look, Gobert's 31 now, and we have yet to see a team that he's been on not get exposed to some degree in the postseason. Even though defense is his calling card, that's where he's been exposed the most. Um, Not to mention Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, I think I like Towns more than most people, but he certainly has a little bit of a, like, (laughs) not up to the moment in the postseason reputation, I would say. And he just does stupid stuff, and he finds ways to lose games. So I'm hesitant because of all that. I also think that while Anthony Edwards is awesome, I think that they're going to be, they're going to have not the best player in the series, almost every series they play in the West, if you think about it. They play Phoenix, Kevin Durant and Booker are both better than him. If they play Denver, Jokic is better than Edwards. If they play Golden State, Curry is better than Edwards. If they play Dallas, even, Luka is better than Edwards. If they play the Thunder, um, SGA and Edwards, I think almost anyone would say SGA. You could argue it's close, but I, I think that it's, at this point, we've seen more out of SGA. Um, so there's just, they're going to be, even if they end up playing someone like Memphis first round, like Jaws arguably better. So he's more proven at least. And so they're, they're not going to have the best player in almost any series they play in. They've got probably their biggest strength is their defense, but the guy who's <laughs> anchoring their defense has been exposed in the playoffs time and time again. And I just worry that the Towns-Gobert duo in a playoff setting when you're playing the same team over and over and over again is going to get a little bit more exposed than it would in the regular season. So, Not to mention that Conley's 36. Who knows how he's going to hold up if they were to go on a deep playoff run. And they don't really have a lot of assets to trade either because they <laughs> traded them all to get Gobert. So I'm not out on... Uh, Minnesota, I am willing to sit here and admit that I was definitely wrong about them as a regular season team, but I just want to see it in the postseason before I'm willing to jump to that conclusion because we've seen plenty of examples of teams who look really good in the regular season, get to the postseason, and it just doesn't translate. Cleveland is a great example. Last year, we saw it with Gobert in Utah for years, so I just... I'm not quite there as an offensive player, uh, or sorry, as a postseason perspective on this team. But uh, we'll see. I'm willing to be wrong, just like I was with them in the regular season. So, Next is the sample size big enough to say that the Suns are just not good enough to be true contenders this season. And I think this question is kind of, impossible well it's not impossible to answer but it's possible to know is the answer because we haven't seen them healthy to this point um and look that's a knock on them i knocked the lakers for their inevitable health issues i've knocked other teams like the clippers for it as well and so i can't just let phoenix off the hook and say like oh well they'll get healthy well let's hope they get healthy um it's more encouraging to me that durant has been healthy because i know that Look, Booker has certainly missed his fair share of time over the last few years, but he has been relatively healthy throughout his career, and he's still only 27 years old, so he should be in his prime, hypothetically. He should be the one that is uh, most likely to overcome injuries if he were to get hurt. Whereas if Durant was hurt, then it would be like, a well, he is pretty old. It's hard to not expect these things, but... Look, Booker has played only two games. Beal has played only three games out of ten for this team. 
they're four and six, but they haven't had a single game where all three of Durant, Booker, and Beal played. Um, Booker and Beal have uh, alternated <laughs> playing games, and Beal has looked pretty rusty. He's averaging only 17 a game. He's shooting 39% from the field in those three games, uh, whereas Booker has been phenomenal when he's played. He's 32 <laughs> points per game, 11 assists, shooting 58% from the field, 53% from three. I mean, he's been as good as anybody in the entire league in, in the games he has played, but obviously, I mean, two games is a very, very small sample size. Um, but yeah, it, it's just really hard to know how good this team can be until we see them healthy because they, they've got some decent role players. Obviously Eric Gordon has been pretty good for them. Um, Grayson Allen has been really good. Honestly, he shot 48% from three so far this season. Nurkic has had some good games, but been largely not very good. Um, he's averaging close to five assists and nine rebounds, which is good, but he's shooting 39% from the field. I mean, he's been really bad offensively. They've Other guys have had their moments. Bates Diop started the season outside the rotation, but has started the last few games and looked good in doing so. Watsonambe has been hit or miss game to game. Same with Drew Eubanks. Um, Josh Okogi has really struggled shooting the ball, only 17% from three this season after a um, career best shooting year last year but it's always risky to say if that was actually sustainable but the point is they've actually been pretty good on defense I mean they've been middle of the league in the 10 to 15 range for most of the season it's the offensive end that's actually been their biggest issue specifically in the fourth quarter I mean they have they've had four games now where they were winning by six or more points heading into the fourth and probably should have won the game, um, but they totally blew it in the fourth. I mean, against uh, the Lakers in the first game, they were up 12 after three quarters, then got outscored 28-11 to 11 in the fourth. Then versus the Spurs, they were up 13 after three, got outscored 33-19 to 19 in the fourth. Then the second Lakers game, they were up seven after three, got outscored 33-23 to 23 in the fourth. And then last night versus the Thunder, they were up six heading in to the fourth quarter before getting outscored 31 to 13 in the fourth, including two for 21 from the field last night in the fourth. Um, so this, this season they are dead last in points per game in the fourth quarter, dead last in assists per game in the fourth quarter. They're averaging the most turnovers per game in the fourth quarter. They are dead last in field goal percentage in the fourth quarter. They're 29th in three point percentage in the fourth quarter, 28th in free throw attempts, last in point differential, last in total point differential, um, 30th, so dead last in offensive rating at 89, which is just awful. So they have been uh, just a, abysmal in the fourth. And so you would have to think that Booker coming back will help that because the way that their rotations have been working, they play Durant all of the first quarter and all of the third quarter, which means he starts the second quarter out of the game and starts the fourth quarter of the game. And really those first four or five minutes without Durant on the court is where this collapse has happened. Um, and normally by the time he gets into the game, they've already kind of blown that lead. So when he when Booker's back, he will be playing. At, at least one of them will be on the court at all times in the fourth quarter without a doubt. I mean, they've done that so far in all the games we've seen them both play. So hopefully that's not the case. The two games Booker did play, they played well in the fourth quarter. Um one of them that was when they beat Golden State, and in the fourth they they played pretty well overall. And then the other one was 
when they played San Antonio and they got down by 25 uh, in the first half. But then they came all the way back in the fourth to tie the game. So they actually played really well in the fourth in that game. They didn't end up winning but because the, the comeback took too much out of them. But I... I'm skeptical just to say that this team's a full-on contender just because they shouldn't be falling apart this bad without Booker when you've got Be- – I know Beal's still ramping up and he's on a minutes restriction, but you've got Kevin Durant. You've got supposedly some pretty good role players, um, and they played pretty well in defense overall, but there's really just no excuse for how they've been falling apart even with just KD. Um, they shouldn't be this bad without – him on the court (laughs) so we'll see I I still think that they've got as much upside as anyone in the league but I think it's too early to say that they're just not a contender altogether Um, but I will say that they're they absolutely need everyone to be healthy if they want any sort of chance to contend Um, because as we've seen I mean if they if they're missing guys it's it's catastrophic (laughs) Um, but we'll see I think Booker is supposed to come back this week, Wednesday night, is what they've been reporting. So hopefully that is the case. Um, but uh, they really can't afford to have him miss too much more time at this point. Now, is the sample size big enough to say that the Clippers made a massive mistake trading for James Harden and that this team is closer to missing the playoffs than they are to contending? And... <laughs> This is a this is a fun one. They've been really, really bad without him. They've lost five in a row now. They started the season. They were top five in the league in um, offensive rating, defensive rating, net rating. They looked really good to start the season, but they've played 255 possessions with James Harden on the floor so far, and they have 102 off- offensive rating and 128 defensive rating. That is a minus 26 net rating. They have 52 assists and 50 turnovers, they have been just atrociously bad. I mean, they lost to the Grizzlies last night, who were 1-8 and eight coming into that game. Uh, the Clippers now sit at 3-6. and six. And look, the <laughs> all of their players have like been worse since this trade. Uh, both Kawhi and Paul George are averaging under 20 points a game since, since Harden... Uh, was acquired. Uh, Westbrook's numbers are down. Harden's been awful. I mean, he's averaging only 13 and a half a game, um, only four assists. It's not like he shot the ball terribly, 47% from the field, 37% from three. Those are like actually pretty good for him. But the volume just hasn't been there. And he's just, he's trying too hard to fit in. And other guys are trying too hard to like try to defer to him. And like, they just don't know what to do out there. It's been bad, and they've been terrible on defense, like really, really bad on that end of the court uh, since he got there. And I think what we've seen is what I said, that Westbrook and Harden just really cannot coexist on this team. I think one of those ball handlers next to Kawhi and Paul George worked really well, but with both of them out there, they're being forced to make tough decisions into do they just sit Harden late in games, do they sit Westbrook late in games, do they play all four, um, and then who's the fifth guy? Because like Norman Powell's their best shooter on the wing with he's shooting 44% from three. But if you play him with those four, then they are terrible defensively. If you play Zubots, then they've got four guys who none of them really want to sit in the corner for a catch and shoot. 
Um, but someone kind of has to do that in an offense these days. Um, if you sit Russ, then you can play Powell, I guess, with Zubats, which probably is the best option. Sometimes Terrence Mann. But I don't know. Um, I think the sample size is big enough to certainly be worried. I would say that. I mean, 0-4 is, is not nothing, and it's not like they've had some juggernaut of a schedule either. Like I said, they just lost to the Grizzlies, who had the worst record in the entire NBA, and still do, even after winning that game. And probably the biggest... Look, it... If everyone else was playing fine and Westbrook and Harden just weren't really gelling, I would be less concerned because I, I kind of knew that was going to be a thing coming in. But what I didn't know was going to be a thing is that Kawhi and Paul George were going to be all passive and like it's going to throw their games off. I mean, Kawhi's only averaging 21 a game on the season right now. He was like, for the entire second half of last year, he was up to like 27 a game. In the postseason, he was by far the number one guy like putting up 35 a game or something. And so... The way that they've just been kind of checked out has been weird to me. So I'm I'm officially worried. Do I th- I back to the original question of are they closer to missing the playoffs than contending? Probably, unfortunately for them, <laughs> um, they probably are because I just don't see how they're going to contend big time with this team. I still think there's time to figure it out. I still think that. Ultimately, you're probably going to have to get rid of Westbrook somehow, whether they just cut him, whether whether they trade him. Um, I just don't see how they're going to coexist. I said that when the trade happened, but I still think it. This team is salvageable. They've got a lot of talent. Like outside of those four, I mean, Terrence Mann's a great role player. Norman Powell, very good offensive player. Bones Highland can score. Um, Mason Plumlee just got hurt, which is a big loss, but P.J. Tucker can play small ball five for them. Um, And so they – man, yeah, it's tough. Harden is really, really just – he had such a good career, and these last few years are just destroying his reputation. I mean, he already didn't – a lot of people didn't view him highly, even in his prime, for numerous reasons. But it's really just a shame because – I mean, he's going to get remembered for this guy who just came in and just killed teams. (laughs) But I'm worried. I'm definitely worried. They need to figure something out quickly. Um, Harden is, I mean, probably to sum it up best was this one play against the Nets where he caught the ball wide open in the corner instead of just shooting it off a catch and shoot like any normal player would. He pump faked, allowed the defender to get back and recover, side dribbled, (laughs) <laughs> and shot it in the guy's face, and he got blocked. It was just like the most telling thing for what he needs to work on is just being okay shooting the ball in the flow of the offense. Um, and, yeah. So we'll see. It's uh, it's not off to a good start. I'm definitely worried, and I don't think the sample size is small enough to uh, make really any conclusion. If someone told me this is a disaster, it's really hard to argue with it right now. So up next... Is the sample size big enough to say that the Rockets, Magic, Pacers, and Thunder are all playoff teams this season? And so all four of these teams currently are top six seeds in their respective conferences. So if the playoffs started today, which I know we're a long ways away from that, they would all not only make the the plan, but avoid the plan altogether. 
they would make the playoffs um, comfortably in the, as a top six seed. And so all of them, the Pacers are six and four, Magic are five and four, Rockets are six and three, Thunder are six and four. So they're all in that four, five seed range. And I have different answers for all of these teams, basically. <laughs> uh, I think for the Thunder and the Pacers, I think yes, that the sample size is big enough to say that they will be playoff teams, at least make the play-in. Um, for the Rockets and the Magic, I think that it is too small of a sample size to say that. I'm not saying that they definitely both won't, but I, p- I personally wouldn't pick either of them to make it quite yet. And this really comes down to one simple thing, and that is star power. Um, the Pacers have Tyrese Halliburton, who is a full-on superstar at this point. I mean, not only is this guy just going to be perennial all-star every single year, he's going to be perennial all-NBA guy every single year. He's only 23, but he's averaging 24 a game, 12 assists, leading the league, only two turnovers, so just an insane assist-to-turnover ratio. He's shooting 52% from the field, 41% from three, 95% from the free throw line. I mean, this guy, he's putting up prime Chris Paul numbers here. I mean, he's like 24 12 and 12 on 50, 40, 90. It's like better than prime Chris Paul numbers. And he's got the Pacers with the not only the number one offensive rating in the league right now, but the best offensive rating in NBA history currently would be them. I know the Kings had that title last year, and it's probably going to be one of those where every single year who, whoever ends up being first is going to be um, the team who has the <laughs> best ever. But as of right now, the Pacers have the best offensive rating in NBA history. And it's not like Halliburton's got a ton of star power working next to him. I mean, Miles Turner is the second leading scorer at 18 a game, and we know that he's a solid player, but um, – a lot of people don't even think he's a top 10 guy at his own position. And then you've got uh, role players in Bruce Brown, um, Buddy Heald, uh, and then Aaron Neesmith's having a, a really good shooting year for them. Uh, a guy they got in the Brogdon trade from Boston, he's shooting 49% from three. They've got uh, Ben Matherin, who has actually gotten off to a little bit of a slow start, but was really good the first half of his rookie season last year, and a guy that I personally am high on. Um, Obi Toppins played pretty well for them. They've got Andrew Nemhard who had a solid rookie season last year. Um, guys like T.J. McConnell, Jalen Smith. So it's not like they've got some stacked roster is the point. But Halliburton is just that good. This is a guy that I, I mean, I think he's a top 15 player in the league at this point. I think I ranked him um, on the back end of the teams, maybe 19 or 20. Or I think I had him 20th in my player rankings that I did in the offseason. But he's continuing to climb, and I think at this point he's working his way into the top 15-ish in that range. And, he, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy he's only 23 what he's doing. He is a one-man offense himself, but not in the way that, like, a prime James Harden was, in the way that, like, a Steve Nash was. This is a guy that just makes everybody around him better. Um, he just puts his teammates in the best position to succeed and is going to, I mean, they can put up points in bunches, and he is the the single reason why. So because of him, I think that they're, look, they're 27th in defensive rating, so they have not been a good defensive team. But I think their offense is good enough where they're just going to get in because of it. If he misses any time, then it's going to be a different story because they're so reliant on him. But he is, he's just, <laughs> I don't see any way how that he doesn't just make the playoffs every year now just on his own because he's that good. That's how good I think he is. 
Um, on the Thunder side of things, they have SGA as well. So he's in a similar boat to uh, Halliburton. They're a very different style player, but just in the sense of young, up-and-coming guys. Uh, SGA is averaging 29-7-6. and six. He's shooting 53% from the field. But unlike Indiana, uh, OKC's got a lot of reinforcements around him. I mean, Jalen Williams is averaging 18 a game this season on 52% from the field. He's been great. He's playing exactly like he did in the second half of last season when he was a um, breakout rookie and almost was able to make the rookie of the year interesting after a slow start. Um, Chet Holmgren has been just awesome. 16 a game, 8 rebounds, two almost 2.5 two blocks. He's shooting 55% from the field, 50% from 3. Uh, he's been super good defensively as well. Um, he's been exactly what they needed uh, for last year where they just didn't really have – not only did they not have much rim protection, but they just didn't have any big guys, and he's filling both of those holes while also stretching the floor offensively. So he's adding just a whole new element to what this team can be. Uh, Josh Giddy is having a not the best year, but we just know, we know how good he is. I mean, uh, he's a triple-double threat any night. His, his jump shot has – not been great this year, but uh, still a very good player that we know. Um, and then they've got other good young guys around them. Kaysan Wallace is a guy that I was super high on out of the draft. Is He just hasn't missed. <laughs> I mean, he's shooting 64% from the field, 53% from three. Low vol- volume on both, but he's still a guy that has played every game, and he's averaging 23 minutes a game. He's basically been their sixth man. So um, he's <laughs> he's been solid, though, but good on the defensive end as well. Um, and then guys like Isaiah Joe, J- uh, the other Jalen Williams, uh, Aaron Wiggins, Lou Dort, a uh, really good defender and uh, has actually shot the ball really well for them this year. So they've just got a lot of <laughs> pieces. They're not afraid to play more uh, experienced teams. They come into every game. They play hard. They compete defensively. Um, and they've got the requisite talent to be a playoff team, even in the stacked Western Conference. So. Uh, picked the Thunder to make the playoffs preseason, and I um, I'm st- I still believe that they will, as I did with the Pacers, and I still believe that they will. However, with Houston and Orlando, I'm slightly less um, optimistic that they can sneak in. Look, Houston has been just an awesome story this season. Um, so far, they're uh, seventh in offensive rating and fifth in defensive rating. They're one of only four teams to be top 10 in both, and they're top seven in both. So they've been really good. And this is a huge testament to uh, Ime Udoka, who's clearly one of the best coaches that we have in the NBA this year. I mean, the Rockets, over the past few years, they were 29th in defensive rating last year, 29th in defensive rating the year before that, 27th the year before that. And this year he has them as a top five defense. So uh, that is a testament to him. They obviously added Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks and uh, a guy like Jeff Green, who's only playing 15 a game. But look, those guys are not players that are going to take you from 27th, 28th in the league in defense to top five. That a lot has a ton to do with scheme, um, player buy-in, uh, and just the, the system that your coach has put in place. And he's been great so far. Um, I also just want to call out, I freaking love Alperen Shangun. I think he is their best player. I think I know he hasn't he wasn't the highest drafted between him and guys like Amon Thompson this year, Jalen Green, Jabari Smith. Those guys were all top five picks. Shangun is the best of the bunch. I mean, he is a mini Nikola Jokic. The guy's averaging nineteen eight and six assists. He's shooting sixty percent uh, from the field. He's uh, 
shot it okay from three, twenty five percent on two attempts per game, but he can make it from out there. Is the point? He's a uh, not a guy that you're gonna want shooting five threes per game necessarily. Uh, but he's got, he's got a, a decent shot, good enough to at least have defenses respect him out there. But he's got phenomenal touch around the basket. He's got this little push shot that feels almost automatic, similar to what Jokic has uh, when he gets close in the paint. He's a phenomenal passer for a big guy. He's similar to Jokic and even Sabonis in that uh, sense that you can really run the offense through him as a guy that's also going to distribute to other players. Um, he's a very solid rebounder. Uh, and he just make he's got a super high basketball IQ. He just makes good decisions on the court. So he's only 21 years old, which is crazy. Actually, sorry, he's only 20. He's turning 21 soon, which is <laughs> pretty crazy to think about. Um, so he's just only going to get better. He's not great on the defensive end necessarily, but I think he's got time to work that out, and it's clearly not hurting them because they're top five in defense. And then Van Vliet and Brooks have both just been really good additions. Brooks has actually shot the lights out of the ball. 53% from three. Um, Van Vliet shooting about on his career averages like 37% from three, 38% from the field, but he's averaging 17 and eight, which again is pretty similarly on par with where he's been. Um, Jalen Green is shooting a career high from three, still inefficient overall from the field, but he's taking better shots, taking less shots, both things that are good for this team if they want to be successful. Um, and then Jabari Smith is having um, a pretty nice uh Second season overall, 48% uh, from the field, 36% from three. But they've just got a lot of guys, too. I mean, Jay Sean Tate is a really nice role player. Tari Eason uh, has shot the ball really well from outside. Um, Jeff Green, Jock Landell, they've, they've got some guys. But I personally just don't think they have the star power to make the playoffs. Like I said, the West is really, really competitive this season. Um, and their best players, Shangoon, maybe you might think it's Van Vliet. Um, I just don't think they really even have a top 50 guy on the roster right now, and it's really tough to make the playoffs if you don't have one of those. So I, I think the story is great so far. I think they're definitely going to be better than we thought. They're going to win more games than they were supposed to, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is a similar situation to Utah last year where like they get off to a little bit of a hot start, they hang around for most of the season, and towards the end they kind of taper off just to – um, lobby for some draft position because they realize that they're probably not making it this year and there's really no pressure to make it this year just given that most of their core guys are on uh, so young anyway with Smith being 20 Jalen Green's 21 Shangood is 20 so but on the magic side of things I think they're close I think the east is easier to make the playoffs and I like what I've seen out of them. I, I'm really impressed with them on the defensive end of the court. Um, they are currently um, f top four in defensive rating, and they were really good on defense down the stretch last season too, and that's carried over into this season. Um, the thing that gives me the most pause on them is that, like I said, the star power thing, and I think Paolo and Franz Wagner like both have all-star potential. I think Paolo has superstar potential. But if they want to make the playoffs, I think both those guys are going to have to play. I think either Franz is going to have to elevate to all-star type level or Paolo is going to have to get close to that superstar type level. And both of them have kind of just played how they played last year. Like, they were both really solid last year. They were good last year. But they weren't, like, I'm the best player on a playoff team type players. Like, Paolo's had a weird year. He's actually upped his efficiency a lot. He's up to 47% on the season, 
um, and 33% from three, which are both big improvements from where he was last year. But weirdly enough, his like his field goal attempts are down. He's just shooting the ball less. Um, he's his points are down. He's averaging only 19 a game, and he averaged 20 last year, even though his shooting percentage is significantly higher. His assists are up, which is a, a big plus. So, and then Franz's shooting is down a little bit this year, 41% to start the season. He's at 18 and a half, which is pretty close to where he was last year too. So, yeah, I just think one of them needs to take more of a step if I think they're going to actually make the playoffs because I just don't think they have the the star power otherwise. Um, Wendell Carter is already injured. Uh, Fultz has missed some time, but he just came back. Suggs has been a really nice surprise for them. He's played a lot better than he did the the last few years. Um, Cole Anthony has had an improved season shooting from the field as well. Anthony Black has actually shot really well from the field, and he's given them some really good minutes on the defensive end, um, and he's been efficient from the floor, much more so than you probably would have thought uh, given his skill set coming out of college. And then they've got a bunch of other guys, Gary Harris, Mo Wagner, uh, Jonathan Isaac. So they're deep, and uh, they've got a really good defensive foundation. It's just going to come down to can they – uh, can Palo or Franz kind of take that leap? And so far they haven't, which is why I'm kind of hesitant to to put them in that group. But I think they're not far off. I think one of those if guys, if not both, will break out in a big way in the next few years at the very least. Um, I mean, Paolo is still only uh, <laughs> 20, and then Franz is 22. So they um, it'll come. But I, I don't know if this is the year just because we haven't seen it quite yet from them. So to back to the original question, I think – Orlando, Houston will probably fall short. Indiana and Oklahoma City will make the playoffs this year, um, which is what I predicted preseason, and I'm sticking to that. I don't think the sample size is big enough to say anything other than that. So next, is the sample size big enough to say that Memphis should just mail it in this season and take their losses and tank and then just run it back next year when they've got more of a full team? And this one's hard to answer. I think it depends. I think, I guess to answer the question, no, the sample size is not big enough. But if they, if they continue kind of what they've been doing, then I certainly think it should be on the table. They're currently two and eight. They're twenty eighth in the league in offensive rating after being eleventh last season and fourth the year before. They're twenty seventh in effective field goal percentage. They're twenty second in turnovers. They're twenty sixth in free throw rate. Um, they have not been good. They are 25th in the league in uh, three-point percentage. They're 26th in the league in field goal percentage at the rim. Uh, they just have not shot the ball well from anywhere on the court. They're not getting to the free throw line. They've been turning the ball over, and they just can't score points. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much that simple. They are, they've lost to some bad teams, too. It's not like they have had some super, super tough schedule I mean they've lost to Washington who's awful they got obliterated by Utah they lost to Portland Uh, they lost to the Jazz again Uh, (laughs) so they really have not been good their only two wins are versus Portland and that was without Simons or Scoot and then they just beat the Clippers last night which everybody's beating the Clippers these days so I don't know how (laughs) how much stake you can put into that one. But look, they're two and eight right now. So they're 10 games into jaws, 25 game suspension. And so that means 15 left. Look, if they can't, if they don't go 500 in that span, 
if they let's say over the next fifteen they go six and nine or something like that, then they're gonna be eight and twenty and seventeen. Which th- I'm sorry, they're just they have no shot to really make the playoffs at that point. Their only chance would be if they like sneak in as the ten seed to the play in and then win the two games. But you're just not gonna start seven or sorry, six and seventeen in the Western Conference and expect to make the playoffs. I mean, they would have to play at like fifty five win pace basically to even have a chance. And I know that they've basically kind of done that the past few years. They won fifty six games two years ago and fifty one last year. But they still this team is just not what it was the past few years because they also don't have Steven Adams and they were one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league uh, with him. And now they are not (laughs) one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league. I mean, they were fifth in defense. They were fifth in offensive rebounds last year, first the year before that, third the year before that. uh, And that's since they acquired Adams this year, they're 16th. So that was a huge part of their offense and they're just not generating those extra possessions. And given how poorly they've been shooting the ball, they really could use those extra possessions because they don't get to the free throw line either. So they've got a lot of issues. Um, Desmond Bain, again, I've said this, he's a really nice player. He's averaging 26.5, shooting 45% from the field, 35% from three. But with him having having to be the lead guy, lead guy, his efficiency has taken a hit. I mean, this is a guy that's been shooting well over 40% from three for his career and he's down to 35 but that's below league average and that's just not really him i also said this preseason that if you've got marcus smart as one of the main guys running your offense you could be in some trouble i mean he's shooting 29 percent from three on the season he's averaging almost four turnovers a game even even two is five assists so you're like oh five assists not bad but you realize it's almost four turnovers that's not great um and he's third on the team in shots and you just don't want Marcus Smart third on the team in shots. <laughs> and then Mar- Jaron Jackson Jr., he's, his bump is scoring up a little bit. He's at 20.5 points per game. But, again, he's just not a guy that you're going to, like, toss the ball to. He's not a gifted shot creator. It's just not a strength of his game. Um, and his defensive numbers are down a bit because he's probably having to do more offensively. Um, not that he's been bad defensively. It's not at all what I'm saying. But it's he certainly has... He was the runaway defensive player of the year last year, and I don't even think he'd be too much in the conversation right now. And then I said this preseason too, but their bench is just really weak in my opinion. Um, Xavier Tillman has been their starting center. He's shooting 37% from the field as as a center, which is just not going to get it done. Uh, Zaire Williams, he's shooting below 40% from the field, below 30% from three. Luke Kennard has not shot the ball very well. He's sub 40% from the field on the season. And then David Roddy, 25% from three. Um, Santi Aldama, he's shooting 42% from the field as a big man. Um, Conchar, Derek Rose, I mean, these guys just aren't rotation players. And then they've signed Bismack Biembo, and that's made them totally lethal uh, defensively. The combo of him and... Jaron Jackson is, like, insane. Because Biombo is a total zero on offense, but he's still very, very good as a rim protector and a defensive player. He's versatile, too, and can guard smaller guys. So um, that was a good signing for them, but it doesn't – It not only does it not help their biggest issue, which is offense, it probably even makes it worse. So I don't think it's early enough to say they should mail it in. I mean, if they go 9-6 – over their next 15 and jaw comes back and they're 
um, 11 and 14. I think that's doable to get in the play-in for sure. But we just have to see. They need to pick it up. Um, they can't go into it with like a with like a seven and eighteen record when when Jaw gets back. It's just not going to be doable to make the playoffs. Um, but I think with a guy like Jaw in his, I mean, not even in his prime, but like close to it, and then Bain's already twenty five, Jaron Jackson's twenty four. Like these guys are entering their prime, so it's really tough to just throw away a season with them. Um, and a guy like Rob Williams would have been a great trade target for them down the line but he's out for the year but I don't know if a guy like Clint Cabello becomes available they maybe make a move for him so I wouldn't say they're dead totally totally dead but as of right now I would not pick them to make the playoffs just because all of my worries that I had for them uh, would jaw out of completely come to fruition and they've still got another 15 games to work through and I don't think it's necessarily going to be super super smooth sailing when he comes back just in terms of like they're going to pick right back up where they left off at 51 win pace last season. Um, I still think there's going to be some growing pains with him and smart because we've seen smart kind of try to do too much with star players in the past. And then they still don't have Adams. They're a really small team uh, and their bench is just subpar in my opinion. So next is the sample size big enough to say that the Kings will be a one hit wonder. Um, I don't think the sample size is big enough to say that. However, I do kind of think they will be. But I don't think it's because anything that's happened so far necessarily. And I know if you're if you were a Kings fan listening to this, you're saying, oh, well, uh, De'Aaron Fox has been out, so it's not fair to be like, blah, 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 we haven't been as good. But that's kind of part of why I think so. Because last year they were the healthiest team in the NBA by far. All five of their starters played at least 73 games. Sorry, um, yeah, 73 games. And so they were due for some, like, injury luck or some reverse, <laughs> some unluckiness with injuries because they were so lucky with injuries last year. So it's not surprising to me that Fox um, missed time. He's going to be back tonight, they said, so um, could be a moot point. But I'm just saying that it's not surprising to me that he got hurt because they were so, so healthy last season. But they have had a very different season this year. I mean, they were number one in offensive rating last season with the best offensive rating in NBA history. And this year they're 24th in offensive rating. So their offense is not at all translated. They were 25th the year before last, so they were pretty much right on par with where they were then. And their defense is a little bit improved, actually. They were 25th in defensive rating last season. They are 18th this year. Um, but they're still 23rd in effective field goal percentage against. Um, they're 23rd in free throw rate. So uh, 15th in turnover rate, which is exactly where they were last year. So their defense is a little improved, but not a ton. Their offense has been significantly worse. And a, a big part of that, obviously, with Fox out, but also Sabonis is not nearly the not been nearly as good as last year. Um, he shot above 60% from the field last year. He was like 38% from three. This year he's 25% from three, down to 56%. Not at all a bad percentage of 56%, but still, he just hasn't been as good as last year. Keegan Murray has very much struggled in his sophomore season. He's below 36% from the field, 26% from three. Um, Harrison Barnes has been Harrison Barnes, <laughs> 12 points a game on uh Average, decent shooting. Um, Herter had a career year from the field and from three last year. 
he's not shooting it well this year. 31% from three, 39% from the field. Malik Monk uh, in the same boat, sub 40 from the field. Davion Mitchell in the same boat, boat sub 40% from the field. Chris Duarte in the same boat, same, uh, boat below 40% from the field. So they have a lot of guys that aren't shooting well. Um, and Fox has been out, and Sabonis has uh, been slightly less effective than last year. But I just I feel the same as I did with them before the season. I think they're going to regress. I think their offense is not going to be as sustainable as it was last year, which has proven true. I think their defense could get a little better, but it's still not going to be good enough to overcome that, which has been true. I think that they're going to probably have um, more injuries than they did last year, which already has been true. So we'll see. I, I think that I feel this way irrespective of what we've seen so far in the sample size. So to answer the initial question, I don't think the sample size is big enough. I just personally am kind of low on the Kings this year. So, um, but I guess that's not really the point of this. So, <laughs> but we'll see on the Kings. Uh, it's still TBD. I think it's too small of a sample size to jump to major conclusions, but, uh, We'll see. And lastly, I just got a quick fun one here. Is the sample size big enough to say that Cam Thomas is actually good? <laughs> He's been very, very good uh, for the Nets so far this season. Uh, <laughs> with an increased role, he, he is averaging 27 points per game on 48% from the field. Uh, he did, unfortunately get hurt so he's missed the last two games and he's going to miss the next couple weeks so um we won't know for a little bit but to answer the question i mean 27 points per game is no joke in eight games he's basically been a slightly worse tyrex maxi to this point but i'm here to tell you that i do not think he's actually good <laughs> i i did a little research and saw that since the nba merger in 1977 there's been 73 players that are 6'4 or, sh or shorter to average 25 points per game. And uh, currently, Cam Thomas is one of those. Only three of them, three of 73, have averaged below four assists per game. Um, and only one has averaged below three. And Cam Thomas is that one. He's only averaging 2.1. <laughs> so he is by far the lowest assist for any basically guard because anyone 6'4 shorter is a guard to average 25 points per game since the merger. No one's even been below three, and he is barely above two. I say all that to say it is almost impossible to be a guard in this league and have zero playmaking ability, and he has zero playmaking ability. So there's plenty of guys that have been able to score in bunches that aren't big playmakers um, that are small guards but there are more of the Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford types of the world. Um, Bones Highland even, obviously he hasn't done to that extent, but that's the kind of guy. So do I think that he can be one of those? Do I think he can be a Jordan Clarkson? Sure. I'm sure he can. But um, unless he figures out a way to <laughs> not be a total black hole on offense, there's just no way he's going to be a viable option on a good team throughout his career just completely unprecedented in NBA history the closest thing we've seen to something like that is Allen Iverson he was down in the near the four assists per game um, area but still it's just not it's not sustainable 
if you're a guard, you got to be able to create for others at least a little bit, or else you're going to be nothing more than a microwave scorer off the bench, which has a has a role in this league. But um, obviously, none of those guys we view as like really, really top tier players. So, and that's going to do it for this episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. Um, had a lot of fun talking through a lot of those early season observations. Um, it'll be fun to see again, just as the season keeps rolling on, if some of these sample sizes do become big enough to make major, um, conclusions, uh, how will, will the Clippers ever win a game again? <laughs> uh, will the Lakers and Suns kind of figure their stuff out? Will the Spurs finally actually play a point guard? Will the Bucks start to pick it up on defense? I mean, these are all, um, very real questions and, uh, the only way we're going to find out is to see the season play out. So excited to, to see it. Um, I'll probably do another episode in a, another week or two, uh, maybe after Thanksgiving. So two weeks or so. Um, just once the sample size picks up a little bit and maybe we can have some more grand conclusions to jump to. <laughs> um, but thanks so much for listening. Um, and I will uh, chat with you soon. Thank you.